I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, creator and host of The Last Symptom. Appreciate you joining me here this week. As I do every week, if you're a new time uh, observer or listener, I want to welcome you. The show is now available not only in audio format, but it's also available as video on YouTube and Rumble. So do me a favor. Everybody's using YouTube and Rumble these days. If you're subscribed to me on some audio platform, which is great, why don't you do me a favor, run over and subscribe to The Last Symptom YouTube channel. And then by doing that, I mean the mere act of subscribing to the YouTube channel or the Rumble channel causes the algorithm, the YouTube algorithm, to recommend the channel to more people. So I reckon it'd be like the the algorithm would look at things that you're interested in, things you're listening to and stuff like that. And then it'll go find other people who are interested in similar things that you're interested in and recommend the last symptom to them. And so that they'll have a more, a greater opportunity to discover my work and to benefit from it today. We're going to do our announcements. I'm going to tell you a story. Oh yeah, good campfire story this week about my old buddy Jordan Selvage. It's been a while since I've told you a story about him, and uh, had my buddy Lambert here the other night, and of course we were telling stories, and and this one come to my memory, and so I thought, well, I got to remember remember to share that with with all you folks. I'm going to tell you about um, the man who fell asleep in 1921 and woke up in the year 3906. I'm going to share with you, we're going to go through a, a list of questions that people have sent my way on a website that I used to write for but I don't write for no more. So I'm not going to answer their questions on that site. But what I am going to do is I'm going to take their questions and I'm going to answer them for you right here today, right here, right now. Uh, and if we have time, we'll talk about some other things. But let's let's start with that. Let's do the announcements. TheLastSymptom.com. That's my website full of free and paid resources. Now, before you fast forward, 
let me tell you something about the, the free resources that I offer. This one falls kind of into a free slash paid resource that I offer. It's kind of both things at the same time. On our online community, the last symptom online community that is uh, exclusive to the locals platform. So you can join us there by going to the last symptom dot locals dot com locals is spelled l-o-c-a-l-s that's one way to join the other way to join is to download the really slick locals.com app from the app store to your telephone or your ipad or the device of your choice and then you just search for the last symptom here's what i want to tell you about our online community last week by the way i caught a mistake that i made i told you and saw that we were eight over eight thousand strong there on the uh, the last symptom community on locals it, that was a slip of the tongue what I meant to say is we're over 800 strong so one of these days we might be up into the 8,000s but we're, we ain't there yet but we are over 800 strong now here's what I want to tell you about our community I have started a tradition of doing a live stream every Monday exclusively to our community there on locals so um, I, I've been kind of mixing it up I'll do it uh, some nights I'll do it oh seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time that's New York time but because I a lot of our members are down in Australia and in the UK and different parts of the world um, I'm trying to every once in a while do the live stream at noon on Monday. Uh, so it's either those two times. But the tradition is every Monday, unless I just simply can't get to it, um, I'm doing exclusive live streams only on locals. So it's not a stream that appears on YouTube. It doesn't go to Rumble. It doesn't go anywhere. It's special and um, directed only to my my online community there the last symptom online community there on locals they're about an hour long too so the live stream goes about an hour long so if you're only used to listening to the show you're missing out on a lot of good things there with the live stream let me tell you what a live stream is uh, not everybody knows what a live stream is and maybe Maybe you're one of those folks who worry about, man, am I, do I have to be on camera? Well, like, what, what is a live stream all about? A live stream is where I am live on camera. You know, you folks watching this right now, this is pre-recorded. Imagine if you were watching me right now, live, uh, sitting here in real time, talking to you on your screen. And then you have the ability to chat, type, type things to me. And in real time, I can see the conversations that you folks are having, the questions directed to me or the statements directed to me or the things you guys want me to talk about. And I'm able to react to it and talk about it in real time. So there's a lot of benefits to that. Uh, we've been doing it now for about a month. First couple times, it was really we were really warming up to it but it's turned into a nice tradition this very last live stream we did a lot of good questions come up we had this whole 
really nice conversation about uh, being able to, to observe things non-judgmentally. How do you do that? What's that mean? And things like that and real life examples of that. The reasons why it's important and stuff like that. We also talked about a bunch of other topics. It's amazing how much we can address and talk about in an hour. So it really is a nice way for you to have uh, regular regular access to me and uh, for me to get to know you in a private setting where it's just it's just us it's just the last symptom community not a bunch of outsiders or anything like that it's just folks who are invested in the work that uh, that we do here so I wanted to tell you about that it really is a wonderful resource and it's a reward an intimate uh, intimate access to me in a way that nobody else has on a regular lar, lar basis and uh, by uh, joining our community there you support my work and if you become a financial supporter within the group it supports my work even more and there are benefits that come along with it I'm really tired this week again I know you guys are going to get tired of hearing me say that uh, I just been I've had a lot to do and uh, my little girl is sick again and I have been walking around with like crucifixes and uh, garlic everything try keep from getting sick because I got a big backpacking trip coming up here soon popping vitamins <laughs> left and right anything I can think of to not get sick between now and when I end up in the back country all right, those are the announcements. So let's move on. There was a website that really kind of got me started with the last sentiment. Yeah, I'm kind of loath to tell you about it, but I'd say most of you already know what I'm talking about. The website is called Quora, and uh, hate I hate that site. <laughs> I mean, for for all the good it did as far as getting my work out there and my message and stuff and people are still discovering me through that that website it's a clown show over there and it seems like every decision they make is the wrong decision it is detrimental to contributors rewards readers punishes contributors um, when I got started there I mean the reason why you know my name is because when I started off on Quora they didn't give me any option to be able to contribute there you had to provide your real name uh, and there are times where I wish I could have go I could go back in time in a time machine and maybe use Rut my my other name uh, my name is Russell as well and uh, in Appalachia my grandpa for example uh, he was also a Russell uh, that gets shortened to Rut so I would have liked to have gone back I mean if I could do it over again I'd like people to get to know me by rut but here I am everybody knows me as Brian Barnett now and, and I'm just sticking with it but a change that Quora has made recently is that you can call yourself anything you get on there call yourself uh, 
pickle nose or I don't I don't know what uh, tomato face uh, whatever name you want to come up with and uh, it's really a stab in the back for the people who have spoken openly about some really sensitive things for that to be a requirement in order for them to write for that website and now it's just a big free-for-all you can just call yourself whatever hide behind any names you want to and um, I really every decision they make I mean every decision they've always made has always been like a spit in the face to me personally um, their what you call it their team that censors you and, and all these things I mean they just really had been hard on me for uh, for all the year for for the years that I wrote for them, and then when I stopped writing for them, now you know I haven't been writing for them on a on a regular basis now for years, and I get all I get from them are emails begging me to come back, begging me to monetize on their website, begging me to to write more articles for them, and uh, I just the the lack of self-awareness for the some of these tech groups I'll tell you what it just it's just mind-boggling you just treat people like total dirt and then wonder why they they don't want to continue contributing to your site so that's a long way of saying that um, every once in a while I'll go on Quora and I will check some of my old articles, maybe update them. And every once in a great while, I'm talking like once a year, there might be a, a question that somebody sends me that I say, well, that, that that's worth replying to. I, I can sit down for an hour or so and write an answer to that. But back when I was writing those articles, I mean, I would spend five, six hours on a single article that I would contribute to them and then just and the, most of them would get accepted but you, you imagine spending five six hours writing an article getting it just right checking it up and down and then presenting it to the world after all that time investment and energy investment for the moderation team there at Quora to just delete the article or to block the article or say no you can't you, you can't publish that that sort of thing was happening too once is too often but it was happening too often so anyway here are a bunch of questions we can just go boom 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 right through these questions there's no reason for me to spend five six hours developing all the reasons why my answer is what it is because you you folks have access to my entire library of work both at thelastsymptom.com as well as all the episodes of this show so if I provide an answer here and you say well I need more context or I, I need more reasons why he says that I've already given you those reasons they exist they're out there all you got to do is spend a little bit of your time and energy going through the episodes of this show or the articles over at thelastsymptom.com and uh, do a little bit of, of work on your own. You'll find the answers. I, I've 
I've got them out there. So these are questions that have been presented to me there on that dumb site. And I'm just going to answer some of them here. How does that sound to you? Question number one, how common is it for people with borderline personality disorder to have had narcissistic parents? Well, it's pretty darn common. Let, let's say it this way. Every person, every single person who has or ha at one time has had borderline personality disorder or any emotional disorder, that person's parents do have an emotional disorder themselves. Now, is it narcissism in every case? No. But here's something to keep in mind. All emotional disorders have the same fundamental cause. They all have the exact same cause and they all have the exact same solutions. The exact same underlying problem, the exact same thing that needs to be done in order to fix that problem. So you say, well, how can that be? How do people end up with different um, emotional disorders then? So my father, for example, I recognize that he has what is most likely narcissistic personality disorder, and I ended up with borderline personality disorder. Why? The answer is so simple, it'll make your head spin. Because of individuality. What do I mean by because of individuality? What I mean is the unique personality type that is inherent to you and that you were born with. That is the only thing that separates me from having borderline personality disorder and my father from having narcissistic personality disorder. You remember what I said about emotional disorders? They all have the same fundamental cause. The same thing is at the foundation of all of them. So how does the unique individual personality type that is inherent to you that you're born with explain me ended up with one and you ended up with another and your parents ended up with another? It, because your personality type, your natural personality type determines your way of handling a thing. It determines your way of looking at a problem and coming up with the best ways to, to deal with it. So, what is at the root of emotional disorders? Improper and unhealthy understanding of feelings, self, and life. As well as, and I'll just throw this in there too, a completely erroneous understanding of how worth works, of how value works. Unhealthy people aren't aware that there are two different distinct types there's the commercial type and there's the inherent type problems arise when you apply the one that the co commercial type of value system to people and unhealthy people do that 
So my father lives with completely erroneous concepts, distorted ideas about feelings, the nature of feelings, not just his feelings, but mine as well, and everybody's feelings, feelings in general. He lives with a distorted concept about the nature of self. In other words, what it means to be a person. Not just for his own self, but for all selves. So when he looks out at the world, he has a distorted concept of what it means to be a person. And then life kind of covers the rest. Uh, but, but, you know, the one thing that I've started to include in here that I, I never included early on in my work is this whole thing about worth. My father lives with completely distorted and unhealthy and false notion about worth. How it works, where it's born, the nature of it. He's applying a commercial idea of value, that whole value system that applies to commercial things, to people. He applied it to me as a child when I was growing up. Now, we go back to his parents, my grandparents. They lived with the exact same false ideas and unhealthy attitudes. My father being raised by that, he was, uh, he was getting those same messages. You know, it's interesting that a teacher can't teach you anything that he doesn't. He can't teach you how to understand something in a way that he doesn't understand it himself. So my father takes the, in that situation with my grandparents, experiences that same inner struggle and pain trying to figure out how to cope with these hurtful false attitudes and notions about feeling self life value you know worth and because of his personality type he says well and I'm he's not sitting at a white erase board you know like mapping this all out or anything this is all happening unconsciously when we're children but his personality type said you know the way to handle this is this and this and this and he ended up then with narcissist narcissistic personality disorder and then he grew grew up and he uh had me and he passed on those same unhealthy attitudes and messages to me about feeling self life value how it works and when I experienced that, the same conflicting, uh, painful messages and attitudes, because of my natural personality type, the one, again, the one that's just inherent to me, the one I'm born with, I said, you know, unconsciously, I said, you know, the way, best way to handle this is such and such and such. And those are the coping, the coping strategies that I settled on, which ended up being the borderline personality disorder that we talk so much about but it's it's all the same that it that is the only thing that distinguish that distinguishes one emotional disorder from another emotional disorder your inherent natural personality type that you're simply born with i i tell a story about i got a cousin named uh, sherman he come out to the house they co they all come out to the house when they were kids and uh we took a walk down the road and we come to a horse out in a field I didn't know that horse I didn't know the farmer I didn't know I mean I I knew of the horse I knew of the farmer but 
had no experience with them, did not know them personally, you know, on a personal basis or anything like that. But we were about 10 years old, 11 years old. And I remember we got down there. My cousin Sherman's always been like this, uh, jump first, ask questions later. He just goes. He just does it. And he, his personality type is like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I have no doubt in my ability to figure this out on the fly. And he'll just jump right into a thing. That's not my personality type. It's never been. I wasn't born that way. And, you know, it's interesting. I could, I could fake it. Like, I could spend a lifetime imitating my cousin Sherman. But for the rest of my life and until I died, no matter how well I imitate it, it's not natural to me, is it? The best I can ever hope for is to imitate that personality type, but not actually possess it myself. My natural personality type, the one I was born with, is the one I, it's inherent to me. I'll have it for my whole life. And it's interesting, the same happens with dogs. If you want a good service dog, for example, do you know they can't just use any dog? They can't just use any dog for as a service dog. Why not? Is it because of the failure of the trainer? It, is it some reflection on the trainer's poor skills or something? No, it's that the dog is born just like you and me with an inherent natural personality type. It's just something you're born with. And it's that that is inherent to you. And so there are some dogs, their natural inherent personality type is just not the type of personality that is ideal to make for a, a really fantastic service dog. Isn't that interesting? So that's sort of, that's the same thing I'm talking about here. So we get down to the field there, and my cousin Sherman sees that horse. He says, I'm going to ride that horse. And I said, are you out of your mind? I don't, it was a big horse. And here we are, only 10, 11 years old. I said, that horse will kill you. I don't know that horse. I don't know what it'll do or anything like that. I don't know the farmer. He says, I, I, I'm going to ride it anyway. And he calls that horse over. It gets up next to the fence, and he climbs that fence and just leaps onto the horse's back. That horse takes off, trying to buck him, running like the wind. Disappears, goes goes running off toward the horizon. It, it, there was a hill, and then there were some trees, and it disappeared into the forest there, into those trees, over the hill, and then here comes Sherman, about 10 minutes later, walking back on foot. He got thrown by that horse, and he said... Uh, uh, boy, that was great. I love that horse. And he just had the greatest time. Again, it's fascinating to me, the differences in our person, in our natural personality types. And I admire that about my cousin Sherman. There are times where I wish I had more that of that personality type in me, but I simply don't. And I never will. But the reason why I tell the Sherman story is if you think about Sherman and I looking at the same problem and coming to the best our own conclusions about the best way to handle that problem is he going to come to the same conclusions I do not at all is he why not because his personality type is more like uh, let's just jump into this I will figure it out along the way 
right? That's his solution. That's his natural way of handling the thing. Natural way of approaching and looking at the thing. Not mine. Not mine. I'm more of a, let me sit here and study this for a while. I want to understand it from all sides. And then we can start talking about what to do about it. So there you go. Spend a lot of time on that first question. How common is it for people with borderline personality disorder to have had narcissistic parents? Very common. How do I know that it's very common? Because nobody who grows up to have a, an emotional disorder, nobody who is in that situation has parents who don't have an emotional disorder themselves. It's impossible. It's impossible. So, the odds are very, very high that one of those parents has narcissistic personality disorder. And if they don't have that, they do have another emotional disorder. So, it really doesn't matter to specify that it's narcissism that they have. It's more constructive to just recognize that no matter what, if you have an emotional disorder, so do your parents. Whether you know it or not, whether they know it or not, whether any of their friends can look at them and detect it or not, they do. There's a reason why nobody can look at your parents and detect it. Either they don't know them well enough, or they're also unhealthy, in which case they wouldn't know what signs to look for anyway. They wouldn't even know what they're seeing when the signs are visible. All right, direct question number two. Why is it so hard for people with borderline personality disorder to maintain close friendships? Here's why. They don't like themselves. In fact, they loathe themselves. Because they don't like themselves and they loathe themselves, they don't view themselves correctly, which means it's impossible for them to view other people correctly. Number four, Intimacy. They have an intimacy deficiency. They cannot experience intimacy. They can't. The best they can hope for is to mimic it in various ways. Superficial, false intimacy. So, very hard to have an, a really healthy friendship when you hate yourself, you don't view people correctly, you don't even you don't even view friendships correctly or the purpose for friendships correctly it's all selfish i hate to say because it's all what does it bring to my life what does it do for me and all these things when you don't view other people correctly you don't treat them correctly when you are unable and really as long as a person has an emotional disorder it's not that they're just unable as long as the emotional disorder is there, they're incapable. So they couldn't even if they wanted to experience intimacy. And what is that? The foundation of good, healthy friendships? Intimacy. Now, the, the good thing about that is that they can do the same work that I did to authentically rid myself of my emotional disorder. And then these things open up to you. So I want to be clear there. When I say that they're incapable of experiencing intimacy, I'm not saying that um, as people they're incapable. I'm saying that as, an, as a person with an emotional disorder, they're incapable. But you can eliminate the emotional disorder. And then things like that open up to you.
What does eliminating the emotional disorder involve? It involves rejecting all of these beliefs, these distorted beliefs that have you viewing yourself and your feelings and value in completely inappropriate and unhealthy way. Once you identify those things, address them, fix them, make adjustments to your perspectives and attitudes, then you you can begin to experience genuine love for yourself. You begin to view yourself appropriately and healthy, health, healthfully, healthy, healthily, and then you extend that to others as well. You know, our view of ourselves really is inseparably linked to how we look out and view other people as well how we deal with them I was just I believe it was just on that live stream the other night saying I was just saying about how the way you treat yourself is directly inseparably linked to how you will treat others as well the way you view yourself perceive yourself and the way you deal with yourself is directly and inseparably linked with how you will view and deal with other people. And I think I gave an example of if I make a big dumb mistake. If I make a big dumb mistake and I view it as appropriate for me to be extremely critical with myself and unforgiven, guess, guess how I'm going to look at my daughter when she makes a big dumb mistake. I view a critical attitude really critical, unforgiven attitude, correct for even for my dumb mistakes that can that can simply be attributed to imperfection, right? And the human condition. Now she makes a big dumb mistake. Do you see how my attitude on the on the matter and the way I deal with myself and view myself and view as appropriate and justified? Well then I view that as appropriate and justified also in my dealings with her. But now on the other hand what if I make a big dumb mistake and I say to myself Barnett you know perfection is unattainable you're never going to be perfect and this mistake you made was just due to that it just due to the human condition and because you're never going to be perfect and you're always going to make mistakes it's something you couldn't fix even if you wanted to you really need to forgive yourself for this not not dwell on it forever not beat yourself over the head you know endlessly about it just let it go just just let it go just accept that this is part of being an imperfect person and let it go you know and so I do that for myself and then 20 minutes later my daughter makes a big dumb mistake well I'm not very likely am I to jump down her throat and be super critical with her and unforgiven and demanding when I just let myself off the hook. I just let myself off the hook for the same thing, for making a dumb mistake that is impossible to avoid being an imperfect person. You see, inseparably linked, the way we perceive ourselves, understand the nature of being a person, the nature of feelings, the nature of life, um, that is inseparably linked with how we will look at and treat other people. Next question. This one's <laughs> easy to answer. It says, I fell in love with someone 
who has shown clear signs of paranoid personality disorder. What should I do? Here's what you should do. You need to discard everything you, th you have learned until now about love, your understanding of love and what love is. You need to recognize that it's all false and erroneous completely based in distorted unhealthy beliefs systems and you need to start over you need to go back to the drawing board and learn what love is because you don't know what love is because you're not able to fall in love with anybody because you're unhealthy you know how I know because nobody who is healthy falls in love with somebody else who has an emotional disorder. And nobody who is, has an, who is unhealthy or has an emotional disorder themselves is able to love. It's, it's what did we just get done talking about? Uh, that, that unhealthy people are incapable of experiencing intimacy that alone that alone settles any argument about yes I can feel love yes I can no you can't because you can't even experience intimacy just that one thing is enough to prove that you don't know what love is love cannot exist without intimacy without an ability to experience intimacy and to be intimate <clears throat> there's more reasons than that why un, uh, people with emotional disorders can't experience authentic love but we're not going to go into them all here this week I'll just say the already just that one thing intimacy is the proof I can offer you lots of other proof and I have go to the episodes where I talk about love there are several uh, there's been special episodes that I've devoted entire episodes to that discussion so the whole question is is ridiculous I fell in love with someone who has paranoid personality disorder really really you think a healthy person is going to look at somebody who has an emotional disorder and say wow this feels right this feels good that's like me uh, running into a bunch of heroin addicts down on the street corner and going, you know, this just feels right to me. It just feels right. And here I've never used heroin in my life. I don't want anything to do with drugs. And and you're saying that that's, that makes sense? That that would feel right to me? No, it wouldn't feel right to me. It would feel the opposite of that. It would feel like, you know, I, I don't wish ill on these people, but this just is, the whole thing feels off, and I just I kind of want to get away because it's not for me it is contradictory to everything about me in my life the whole drug addiction thing so <clears throat> you imagine a, a, a healthy person meeting with an unhealthy person it's the same thing we're talking about romance and falling into love and committed relationships it doesn't feel right a person knows within one date that it's not going to work 
and you get I get folks every once in a while say, oh well you know he fooled me he fooled me no he didn't fool you you didn't you just didn't know what you were seeing there's a reason why you weren't able to identify all the the warning signs because you wouldn't know what you're looking at or seeing even if it jumped up and bit you on the nose because all of that stuff seems normal to you why would that all seem normal to you because you're unhealthy too so if you think you fell in love with somebody with an emotional disorder it means you have an emotional disorder what you want to do you know I, I said that this person needs to go back to the drawing board and learn all about love that's one thing to do but, um, but the most important thing to do is work on yourself start working on yourself identify your own issues address them fix them in the process of that if you have an emotional disorder and you truly do the work to rid yourself of that emotional disorder with the help for example here of the, the last symptom by doing that that process naturally requires that you correct false ideas and false beliefs about what love is you cannot get from unhealth to health without correcting false distorted beliefs about what love is I'll give you a hint love is not just a feeling so if your argument is no I know what I feel you, you've already lost the argument because love is not what you feel what you feel is not what determines whether you're experiencing authentic love or not alright next question boy the time's really going tonight I, I'm surprised about this because when I sat down to do this I was so tired I said man how am I going to get through this and I'm actually going to run out of time this next question is just about as ridiculous as the one we just got done addressing says how will a relationship with an untreated this is another reason why I don't continue writing articles for Quora because no matter how many times I tell the audience stop calling people by their disorder like stop defining people by their disorder stop saying this is a this is a BPD pointing to somebody who has an emotional disorder and saying they're a BPD as if they were born that way as if their disorder is inherent to them describes them defines their life they have an emotional disorder they aren't an emotional disorder so this question does that how will a relationship with an untreated BPD uh, so let me correct the question how will a relationship with a person who has untreated borderline personality disorder and an empath work out terrible you know why because there's no such thing as empaths grow up grow up stop believing that there are real life superheroes out there like the X-Men are all walking around with these mutant powers of empathy it's the most absurd belief out there that that some people have a special power a special empathy power let me tell you about it empathy is a quality again like love 
it is not just a feeling so i if your if your argument is no i am an empath because i feel things strongly you've already lost the argument because empathy is not just a feeling it's a quality and it's a quality that is a naturally occurring product of emotional health good emotional health that means all healthy people are empaths all healthy people experience genuine empathy for real who does not experience empathy who cannot experience empathy so we've talked about people who can't experience intimacy We've talked about the class of people who cannot experience authentic love, who cannot experience authentic empathy. People with emotional disorders. And do you know who the only people are on the face of the planet who believe in such things as empaths? People with emotional disorders. They believe that their emotional disorder has granted them a superpower, a superpower that curiously all healthy people already naturally exist with. An emotional disorder does not grant you superpowers. It doesn't grant you anything constructive and positive. Emotional disorders only are destructive. There are lots of reasons why a person would feel things very intensely. A lot of lot of reasons all of them unhealthy reasons all of them unhealthy self-serving selfish distorted reasons there are no such thing as empaths and these questions about how will relationships work out with people who have emotional disorders the answer is terrible what is at the root of emotional disorders inappropriate view of feelings, inappropriate view of self, distorted ideas about the nature of value and worth and how it all works. And you're telling me that a person with all these things going for him negatively can't experience, can't experience intimacy, doesn't know what true love is, thinks it's a feeling, thinks empathy is just a feeling, doesn't view themselves right, loathes themselves, doesn't have a pro- proper attitude towards feelings, has a completely distorted concept about life and the very fundamental nature of things, the most fundamental and important things in life, you think that person's going to go off and be able to have a healthy relationship? It's impossible. Everything we've just described that they can't do or that they view inappropriately and wrong is absolutely required for any healthy relationship. So all these questions about relationships this and relationships that and how will this work out and how will that work out, the answer's terrible. That's the answer, terrible. It will always work out terrible because everything required for a healthy relationship starts with a healthy relationship with oneself and an accurate understanding of feelings, self, life, and value. The idea that a person who understands every one of those things incorrectly and inappropriately can go off and experience happiness there's another thing they can't even experience happiness alone think about that the people with emotional disorders cannot it's not that they just cannot 
they are incapable of experiencing true contentment by themselves. How are they going to get into a relationship and that fix the problem? So how are they going to get into a relationship? These people who can't even experience contentment by themselves and suddenly they're going to experience contentment. It's a whole false concept about relationships, like the relationship is the answer. Like if I just if I just get with somebody else, that'll fix the problem. I was with the wrong person. No. 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 That is not how love works. That's not how contentment works. That's not how life works. That's not how relationships work. The relationship, a relationship, isn't the answer for anything. So some things to think about there. You could tell I get worked up on that subject. That's just because it's never ending. It's never ending. Unhealthy people are just obsessed with relationships. It's like life has no meaning without a relationship. There's no reason to live without a relationship. Why do you think they? Why do you think unhealthy people believe that way? Because they hate themselves. They don't like themselves. They can't be content with themselves. So it's like, well, if I, if I just go out and buy, buy one more pair of shoes, then I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Folks, a pair of shoes is not going to fix the, pro- the things keeping you from being happy. Purchasing things feels good for a second, doesn't it? I was just reading about, um, you know, the World Series just ended, and the Astros won, and Philly lost. Daggum. They, they played hard, but they lost. Uh, and I was just reading an article about how the euphoria of winning a championship really, really quickly wears off. So imagine that you're a baseball player. You've fought hard all season long. You win the World Series. How thrilling that is for about 10 minutes. Maybe a day, maybe a week. But it... It wears off just like that. So the article was saying how players have to adjust their attitudes so that they begin viewing the journey, the entire journey, as being the real reward. Reveling in the journey of the whole thing rather than just the big win. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> so a lot of um, healthy adjustments in understanding an attitude toward things have to happen for unhealthy people to uh, get healthy. And all of these questions, they reveal such such unhealthy and, and twisted, crazy thinking. I don't mean crazy in the literal sense. I just mean really, really off-the-mark thinking. And that is not a judgment for me because, remember... I was once the person with those exact same distorted thinking and it's it's astonishing to me sometimes reading questions like this and realizing just how many people are like that out there who live with these same unhealthy belief systems and views and perspectives and, and understandings of things. It's, uh, I mean, I just shake my head that I was once that far off the mark. All right, we're really running out of time here now, so let's uh, pick up the pace here a little bit. What are the best predictors of recovery in patients with an emotional disorder? 
the best predictor is this. Are they open and receptive to things I teach with the last symptom? Are they self-initiating and are they doing it for themselves? Are they self-initiating and are their motives healthy? In other words, are they doing it for themselves? That's the best predictor of authentic recovery in folks who have an emotional disorder. Next question. What are some of the subtle signs that someone with borderline personality disorder may be on a downward spiral? Uh, The best sign would be, are they breathing? If they're breathing, they're on a downward spiral. Um, People with emotional disorders are always on a downward spiral. It's a lifelong downward spiral, whether they know it or not. That's the most interesting thing. Most of these things I say person say that's not true that's not true no it's not true consciously for you but unconsciously it is is there an increase in teens exhibiting traits of emotional disorder if so what's the cause the answer is yes because we live in an increasingly unhealthy world why because people have increasingly unhealthy attitudes what is at the root of emotional disorder unhealthy distorted attitudes so parents pass these unhealthy attitudes and perceptions to their children children grow up have their own kids pass guess what they do they pass the only thing they know on down to their children same unhealthy attitudes and perceptions and then their kids grow up and guess what happens around and around we go Here's an interesting question. Why does Quora allow a person to claim to be cured from borderline personality disorder when in fact no cure exists and tout their website for others to follow? Isn't this promoting false hope? All right, so you, the person with an emotional disorder who is not cured, says that being cured is impossible, and I the person who once had borderline personality disorder and now have lived for years and years without it completely, completely cured, and I know what that process required and I know what it took, I say that it is curable because I did it. But it makes sense to you to ask why it is incurable to the person who has been cured from it. Could this question get any more absurd? No, it surely couldn't. This is a person who doesn't want to get better. People who ask me questions like this, they don't want to get better. They, they want to stay unhealthy or at the very least they want an excuse for why it's okay to stay unhealthy or at the very least they want an excuse for why they have not made any headway yet and I'll tell you why because 
they've already made up their mind that they don't want to be cured, that it ain't curable, and uh, so therefore they have nothing to do, they have no work to do, they can just sit back and be smothered in sympathy from other unhealthy people, can't they? Uh, Let's see, what limitations in life does a person have with borderline personality disorder? Well, we've already discussed that. They can't love themselves, can't love others, they have an improper view of feelings, they have a completely unhealthy and improper understanding of value, how value works for people. They can never experience intimacy, which is a human need. It's not like a cherry on top thing of life. It's a human need. And when you're deficient in a human need, it leads to all sorts of crazy things. As a person, uh, here's the next question. As a person with an emotional disorder, how do you explain your intense feelings? Well, I don't have borderline personality disorder. I used to, and I had it for the first 35 years of my life. I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you where these intense feelings are coming from. Misperceptions. So if I look out the window and I see a woman struggling with a man, it looks to me like he's trying to to steal her purse or rape her or something. And I, I think that woman's in danger. What are the feelings am I experiencing? Anger, a rush of adrenaline. I jump up from doing this show and I go racing outside, down to the street, ready to fight, right? This is what my feelings are doing. They're really elevated, really elevated and really volatile. I'm ready to go into it. And I get down there and I see, wait a second, they're shooting a commercial. I see the television cameras. I see the director in the director's chair. I see the the lighting and everything, and the the guy with the the uh, microphone boom. I go, wait a second, wait a second. I just about rushed onto this film set to rescue this actor because I thought she was in danger. What happens to my feelings? My feelings completely subside, don't they? That is happening all the time for people with emotional disorders because their understanding of what it is they're seeing is completely off. They're interpreting the experience through a completely false filter and the feelings just are what they are. They're not experiencing feelings any differently than you and me. If you and I were looking through that same filter and misunderstanding the same thing, in other words, we're viewing the thing And we're understanding it in the same way they are, the same extremely offensive or hurtful way that they are, our feelings would react the same way. So folks who have emotional disorders, their feelings are not malfunctioning. They're not acting in in any way different from any other human being. That's a complete lie and a myth. So that's the answer to the question. How do you explain intense feelings? Perceptions, misperceptions. All right, so uh, there were a couple things I promised here. Let's cut off that. I told you I'd tell you a story about Jordan. Here's the thing about old Jordan. He was not a... (laughs) Well, let me just tell the story. We had a friend, a mutual friend, older friend. This is a, an adult. We were kids. Uh, this, this happened when we were in our probably late teens. 
and uh, the friend of ours was an adult had a wife had kids but every once in a while he'd hire us to do uh, labor for him like work labor work for him manual work his name was Buck McSwords and I tell people that and they go you gotta be kidding me no his name was really Buck McSwords I was just telling my buddy Lambert who was here helping me with some electric last weekend and I started telling him about this Buck McSwords oh man he had me laughing talking about this guy like you're imagining like some kind of action hero or something you know it's got to be the coolest name of all time Buck McSwords anyway Buck had hired us he he was he had gotten a job to paint a house in a nearby town it was in the middle of summer so he asked Jordan and I if we'd like to make some extra money we said sure went out there he took us out to the house the first thing we had to do was go in t- all around this house the paint was old and kind of chipping off and we had to take a a tool and scrape scrape as much of the old paint off the house as we could it was 100 degrees outside we're out there working scraping scraping up on ladders down the ladder up the ladders down the ladders i mean this was going to take like a this was going to take days just to do the scraping like i said it was about 100 degrees outside jordan and i get out there and uh we're not 30 minutes into it he says hey i uh i need to go get something out at the house he said do you mind if i step away i come right back i said no buddy go on so i kept on scraping 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 paint i mean i was at it all day long it was exhausting jordan takes off and about two and a half three hours go by the whole time i'm doing this work all by myself that he's supposed to be helping me with and i'm thinking why is taking him so long now this is before the days of cell phones you you got to remember so it wasn't like i could just pull my cell phone out text him hey where you at or anything like that so i'm just waiting for him and i'm working in the hot sun and everything man going through the the lemonade and tea and it was just a, it was a lot of work a lot of work that day a lot of hard work finally he shows back up about three hours later and what happened and he come up with a story i don't remember what he said like he had car problems or something like that so i just dismissed it all right well let's get back into this and so he helped me out for the rest of the day a couple years passed after that and i was talking to old buck buck mcswords and he says, uh, hey, do you remember that house that you and Jordan helped me strip and paint? And uh, I said, yeah, I do remember that. He says, uh, do you remember Jordan was there and helped you that entire first day when you guys were stripping that house? I thought about it and I said, well, not you mention it. He, he said he, he forgot something at home, went to pick it up and then had car problems with it. He was going for a few hours and buck says i know he was he said he had a grin on his face like <laughs> like i can't i don't know this is real humorous but i i ain't sure how brian's gonna take it but he says uh i know he did 
he said i went out there uh out by jordan's place and i remember jordan lived in that barn out in the country and actually buck and his family lived not too far from jordan so buck said i i had gone back to my house to uh to for some uh, he had it buck would have like several projects going on at a time so that's why we were left there by ourselves working on that house because he'd have like two or three different projects going on at a time he said i went out to the house to get some stuff for this other project i was working on he said and i took the back roads the back roads to get there he said i was back on this no-name back road and as i'm driving the gravel dirt road he says as i'm driving i see up ahead there's a car pulled off to the side of this back road out in the middle of nowhere and he said i pulled up next to it real slow and took a look he said and there was jordan parked under a shade tree sleeping in the driver's seat <laughs> man i laughed so hard i never did bring that to jordan's attention by the way while he was alive then i understood why buck was smiling about that because he knew the he knew the story he knew what what was up jordan just got tired of working that day i mean within like the first 30 minutes 40 minutes and so he concocted this story i gotta go pick something up at the house and then he just drove out to one of those back roads where he thought nobody would see him parked the car and took like a three-hour nap while i sat there working all day long for those three hours out in the hot sun on that house all by myself simply because he didn't want to do the work so that was that was what I was getting ready to say when I started to tell the story. He was not a real physical guy, Jordan. He wasn't a real physical worker or anything like that. He was more of a well. He he would be like a, a video gamer today and a, that sort of thing, you know, kind of soft work we call it where I'm from. Uh, you know, person who wants to sit at a computer all day, kind of like what I'm doing now. <laughs> so I can't really knock it sitting behind a computer all day but it's not the work that I growed up doing uh, yes I know I just said growed up but that's that's the way they say things around here that's not the kind of work I grew up doing um, it was all physical physical labor all right let's wind it down here the man who fell asleep in 1921 and woke up in the year 3906 paul amadeus dienach 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 boy why can't people just have normal names like smith <laughs> why they got to be so difficult to pronounce uh paul amadeus dienach 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 all right that's the way i'm going to that's what i'm going to stick with Dienach, spelled D-I-E-N-A-C-H. One of you out there can correct me. And the the author of the article also has a real complex name. Why can't he just be Jones? No, it's Andre Tapalaga. So this is an article by Andre Tapalaga, the man who fell asleep in 1921 and woke up in the year 3906 thought you guys might find this interesting dreaming 
of a futuristic world takes a lot of creativity and imagination, especially during the start of the 20th century where technological in innovation wasn't as present as it is today. Paul Amadeus Dienach, Dienach, his book entitled Chronicles from the Future, The Amazing Story of Paul Amadeus Dienach, they're going to make me say his name as often as possible, based on Dienach's personal journal, was, original, was originally published in 1972 in Greek. In his journal, he had written in extreme detail about how he lived in the year 3906 when he ended up in a coma for a year. The amount of specific detail within the book has made many people think that he had actually lived in some sort of spiritual way in 3906 or a far futuristic world based on the amount of detail given. Again, 1921 wasn't all that interesting in the sense that there weren't many things to inspire writers or stimulate their imagination. The sleeping illness. I'm just going to call him Paul because that's a lot. Of, that's his first name. Paul was born in Zurich, Switzerland in the year 1884. Since a young age, he had always dreamed of being a teacher and that is why he had studied to become one. After finishing his studies, he became a teacher of German and French language. He was in love with a woman who broke his heart for a rich man. That dirty dog. Why would she go off and do that? Uh, after she got married, he ended up in depression, which some say had affected his health. In 1917, Paul fell ill with a disease that came as mysteriously as it left, named encephalitis lethargica or more commonly known as the sleeping illness there was a small epidemic around Europe with this disease that was mainly present between 1916 and 1924 those who caught the disease were sent in a coma for long periods spent long periods of time in a coma I think that this article is actually was written originally in a, a different language so maybe Greek so there are some English issues with it but we'll get through it in 1921 his illness worsened when he fell asleep for a good year during this time he was constantly monitored in a hospital in Zurich when he woke up he found out that his mother had passed away and also that he had been diagnosed with tuberculosis which he most probably caught while he was in the hospital once he got better, he moved to Greece where he taught French. In his class, he became good friends with a student named Georgios Papachatsis, who later on followed to become an important person within the Greek government. In 1924, he wanted to return back to Switzerland, and he gave this Papachatis guy his own personal diary as a present. In this diary, he had written everything he had quote-unquote dreamed during his long coma. Paul's only wish was that this feller never share the information inside the diary. Do you think that that man kept his promise? 
Well, we wouldn't be reading about this now if he had, would we? <laughs> so the guy started to read the diary and translate it from French to Greek. Within the 800 pages, Paul described how during his coma, his consciousness left his body and entered the body of a person from the year 3906. Throughout the diary, Paul mentions that he is not a writer nor a man with a lot of imagination and fine details. This book, this diary, was published in 1972. It says Paul was not an author, poet, or professional writer. Rather, he was an ordinary man who kept a journal. Never with the expectation that it would be published and never with the wish to become famous off a book. Within the book, Paul describes how he woke up in the year 3906 in the body of a man named Andreas Northam, who was in a hospital recovering after an accident. Guess what kind of accident? The collision of what Paul describes as flying cars of the future. Andreas was amazed by the technology present in the hospital as well as the futuristic uniforms worn by medics. Despite all this, he did not understand the language the medics spoke, neither could he remember who he actually was. What's more amazing is that Paul's consciousness was in control of Andreas' body and found out everything that had happened since 1921. Based on his acknowledgement, the biggest issues within the 20th and 21st century are world wars, lack of respect toward nature, suppression of violence, ex excessive consumerism destroying the planet. There were years after our present time where the political and economic world was controlled by a new global order. Violence and poverty had extended around the world. Humanity had reached a point where it had overpopulated Earth and Mars was already colonized by thousands of people. The colony on Mars, however, only lived for 60 years because a catastrophic phenomenon killed all of them. In the year 2309, almost the whole population of Europe is extinguished by nuclear war. The survivors start to migrate to the south of Europe, where they begin the process of repopulating the continent. At the beginning of the 24th century, a new global government is created that removes all the countries and continents and makes the whole population of Earth as part of a single nation, therefore bringing equality to humanity. Paul marked the year 2894 as a very important one where the rebirth of a spiritual force had been witnessed between Greece and Macedonia in the Valley of Roses. This spiritual entity brought a new type of human that was very different from a physical perspective and which brought a new lifestyle to our society, one that is simpler and which made humanity happier. In the year 3382, a man named Alex Volke brought a new meaning to the power of human consciousness through meditation. Humans unlocked the true power of their spirit and managed to do incredible things such as control the chemicals within their bodies that affected their emotions. <laughs> oh boy, I could go off on that right there. That's uh, appropriate for last symptom stuff. 
get that in the year 3382 this feller says that uh, we're going to finally finally be able to control what we feel wrong there are pr plenty of other incredible things described within the book that has been acknowledged by Paul there's another person famous author Caroline Levitt who also mentioned that she had lived the life of another person while being in a coma the article finishes off this way dreaming is still something that we do not know much about as it is linked to our consciousness there may be a lot of things that we do not know about our own potential as human beings well that's a fun read and uh, really interesting uh, I'm sure that the guy really did dream up all those things uh, I'll just finish by uh, saying that anybody who is uh, has complete trust and faith in the Bible Bible like I do uh, does not believe stories like this because uh, we're already aware of what promises the Bible gives about the future which uh, have never failed to come true in the past and which I am certain will come true in the future but that's me and maybe you don't believe in the Bible at all maybe you find this more interesting and I thought I'd share that with you for me as a, as a, I just love stories like that uh, you know the the imagination of it all the the what-ifs uh, th those are very fascinating to me and I, and I wanted to share those with you so uh, you can take that for what it's worth and if you want to look up that article it's by Andre A-N-D-R-E-I Tapalaga T-A-P-A-L-A-G-A The Man Who Fell Asleep in 1921 and Woke Up in 3906 um, the article was written in uh, was published January 14th and so that's how long I've been holding on to this article to share with you folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a wonderful weekend. I hope to see you back here next time. Same time, same place. Take care. Mm -hmm.